Well, Northside family, it is good to see you again. My name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. And I love this series that we're in uh, called Multiplication Table because uh, what Jesus does on his last night on earth is he gets his disciples together. And sometimes we think if you have one last night, you know, maybe you do a Facebook Live and you tell the world what you think of the world or what you think of people. And maybe Jesus is going to have a rally up on Sermon on the Mount and do it all over again. He's going to invite all 5,000 people that he fed. But what we find is this, on the very last night of Jesus, he gathers his disciples together and he eats with them. This is why I love Jesus, right? He was the inventor of Harvest Homecoming. He's going, I want to include everybody to the table. Some of you, you need to repent for what you've eaten this week because it is deep fried and taken two years off your life. Uh, I was busted. I was actually on wave three this week, uh, standing in line getting steak tips from Brooklyn and the Butcher. And uh, my friends were texting me like, dude, you had that face like you were busted. I was like, I was busted. Uh, Because not only did I eat that, I was like, you know, I'm at harvest. I want to support the community. So I went ahead and ate a gyro. And, uh, and I don't know if they strategically placed these booths, but I was, I'm leaving with one of our elders, Bill Collins. We're leaving. We're walking down the street. And like the last booth on the way to our car was the apple and dumpling with pumpkin ice cream, which to, in my heart, I wanted to. And my only response was, get behind me, Satan. And uh, I kept walking on. But I love that what Jesus does on the last night is he invites his disciples to the table and he says, let's have a meal together because I want to impart into you the most important things that I can tell you about. And we looked at this two weeks ago. He lays on them this game changer of a verse. It's in John chapter 14, verse 12, and Jesus changes the game. He gets them together and then he tells them this. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. Jesus says, faith in me isn't just, you know, saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now I can kind of go on with my life. Check, I'm not going to hell. He says, faith in me is believing in me, but not just believing in me. It is doing what I have been doing. And then he goes on to say this, and he will do greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. Jesus says two really kind of mind-boggling things here. One, he says, you're going to do what I've been doing. And a lot of times we go, no, you're Jesus. I can't do what you've been doing. See, this is why we need to pay attention not just to the person of Jesus, but what Jesus did. How he loved, how he lived, what were his priorities. Because he says, I want my priorities to now be your priorities. And here's what's going to happen. As you live your life by my priorities, by the way that I love people, the way that I invited people to the table, the way that I led people to the Father, you're going to do it. And you're going to do greater things than these. You're going to do greater things than the three and a half years of ministry that I had. And a lot of times you kind of are sitting here as you're looking at me going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, not really. I don't believe you, but I'll look at you. This verse came to life for me last weekend. My buddy took over as the senior pastor at a church in Las Vegas called Canyon Ridge. His name's Drew Moore. I used to work with Drew. And uh, last Saturday at his first service as the senior pastor at Canyon Ridge, I surprised him on the front row. I was just down there like, hey, man, let's go to church. Now, here's what's so cool. This verse came alive for me because Canyon Ridge, where he's now the senior pastor at in Las Vegas... They're 25 years old, and Canyon Ridge was planted the year that my family moved to Las Vegas in 1993. 
And I sat there in this auditorium listening to Drew preach and watching this transition happen, and they said this. They said, since 1993, we have baptized 8,000 people in Las Vegas. It was this incredible moment. And it began to sink into me that I went, wow, God, it wasn't just about us going to Las Vegas. This was about what you wanted to do in Las Vegas to reach the valley of Las Vegas. If any church needs to be planted somewhere, Las Vegas is the place we should plant a church. And not only has Canyon Ridge, not only were they planted out of our church, Central Christian out there, they've planted another church on the southwest part of Las Vegas called The Crossing. Now they run over 5,000 people. And what Jesus was reminding me of this is, Nate, I want to do something greater in this world than you think you can do. But you've got to have faith in me. You've got to follow me. We celebrated that last weekend, 25 years of God's faithfulness and what he's done, but because they have been committed to doing the things that Jesus has done. I felt nostalgic, so I drove by our old house in Las Vegas. I'm just kind of one of those sentimental people, so I drove, drove by the old house, and this was our house in 1993. We bought it. Dad bought it brand new for $115,000, and uh, it had a for sale sign when I drove by, so I texted this picture to my family, and I said, let's go in and buy a vacation home, you know, and Vegas, they're like, no way, it's for sale, and my sister looked it up on Zillow. We bought it for $115,000. Can anybody guess how much it's worth now? $280,000. If we only would have waited 25 more years. <laughs> See, we want a return on our investment when? Now. But what if I would have told you in 25 years, you'll make $165,000 on this house, would you buy it? Well, yeah. Yeah, I would. If you're going to guarantee me that type of return, I'm, I'm in. Jesus says, that's what I'm inviting you to the table for. I want to see a return on your life and your way of living, and you will do greater things. But here's the thing. You've got to sit down at the table with me. See, Jesus works in ways that you and I don't work. This is why we need to have our faith in him to do what he has been doing. Last weekend, Jason Petty did an amazing job, and he talked about in John chapter 15, after Jesus laid this out in John 14, he said, it's not just that you're going to try to do better things. He said, here's how you're going to do it. He said, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, my father is the gardener, I'm the vine, and you are what? Anybody remember what he says? You're the, six of you remember. All right, you're the branches. He says, let's get it straight. Here's how you're going to do greater things. My father's the gardener. I'm the vine. And the only way that you can do greater things is that you remain in me. This isn't about what you can do with your life and if you can have great plans. He said, the whole plan, Jesus said, is this, is that you remain in me, that you remain connected to me. And Jason said this phenomenal line. What Jesus was telling us this, is that your proximity to him is more important than your activity for him. Too often times we think it's just about what we do, and that's what Jesus is going to judge us on. He goes, no, your proximity to Jesus is what matters, because your proximity will lead to your activity. You will begin to do the things that Jesus has for you once you know and you follow Jesus and you have faith in him. And here's why this is important, because Jesus goes into John chapter 16, and here's the big idea for us today, is that our proximity to Jesus is our power. It's our power to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. Our proximity to Jesus is what matters because that is our power. 
And here's the deal. The reason why power matters is because the power of Jesus is what makes it personal with him and with this world. You're seeing it now at all the coffee shops. When you place your order, what do they do next? They ask your name. Who is this for? Everybody is realizing if we're going to win the market, we've got to keep this thing personal. I heard this phenomenal podcast that said every revolution that has come into the world has created a new power. And the problem is this. If people hold to that power as their hope, it will always sacrifice people. He said, you can look back to even the Roman time period when they created money and they gave money to the Roman soldiers. He said it kind of capsized the Roman people because if you had money, you were good. And if you weren't, you were a slave in the society. Matter of fact, if you were born to a slave, you didn't get a name. You were slave number whatever child you were. You were slave number four. You're slave number five. You're slave number six. That was your name. They had money, but if you didn't have money, you had no name. And you see all these revolutions come about. You see the industrial revolution come in and it begins to replace people with machines. And it's not that that's a whole problem because man, business is thriving, but here's the problem. We say phrases like this when we make a business decision and it affects you, someone will say this to you. It's just business, it's not what? Personal. See, the problem is if we hang on to the powers in this world, we won't hang on to the power of Jesus. And here's what ends up happening. We end up sacrificing people around us. This is even happening right now with our technological revolution. This is why we are more connected than ever as a society with the power of the iPhone, the power of all these things. And we go, man, brilliant stuff is being done. But there's a whole backside that's happening now that we're finding. Literally, there is a clinical term out now that's called digital dementia. You can look it up. And what's happening is this. People have become so addicted to their iPhone that it's actually making you forget things. People are realizing they can't even remember phone numbers anymore. And they're going, we are more advanced than ever, and yet at the same time, we are more impersonal than ever. You can even feel this at church. We come into church, we leave, I don't have any connection. And that's not what the church was called to be. This is why Jesus says, you are the body of Christ. We are to be connected. See, this is why Jesus immediately goes to this idea that we need the power. And this is what he explains in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, here's why you need it. He says, because when you receive power, this is after he's gone to the cross and he rose from the dead. He's going, I want to give you my power, but the power is for a purpose. It's not just to have power. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When you receive Christ, when you become a follower of him, when you begin to live out your life as him, as your Savior. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is why we celebrated our Dominican trip today, because what we realize is this, to have the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just for me. Jesus says, I'm giving you my power so that you can bless the people. We heard that phrase a long time ago, power to the what? Power to the people. Jesus goes, I know. I have a power that this world can't give you, and I want it to be for the people. 
I have a power for you to experience a life that you can't give yourself. But here's the deal. You need to connect with me. You need to have proximity to me. You need to let me be your power. And this is if you go, well, Nate, prove that this can happen. You know, that sounds good. But in Acts chapter 2, what we find is this. This is what I love about the way that Jesus has formed the church. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, one of the apostles who has betrayed Jesus, who's failed so many times, he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the first day that the Spirit comes, he stands up and he starts preaching. And listen what he says in verse 37. He's told them about Jesus, all the Jewish people. He's told them about it. And it said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do with this? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive this power in your life. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then listen what happened. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. See, sometimes we think our generation is the first corrupt generation ever. Now, that's the only corrupt generation you know. Actually, all of the world's been corrupt since sin entered the garden. This is why we've needed Jesus. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling like baptizing 3,000 people? Sitting there baptizing them, going, God, I can't believe you're letting me do this. God, I can't believe you're letting, you're working through a failure like me to save 3,000 people. God, I can't believe it. And Jesus says, no, I told you in John 14 that you will do greater things. I told you. Put your faith in me. Allow me to be your power because I want to do something greater than you could imagine. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at what the power of the Holy Spirit is. We're going to look at what the power of the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and my life because it's greater than what we think. And some of you go, Nate, that sounds great, but there's a lot of hurt in my life. There's a lot of things wrong in my life. Here's what we need to understand if you're following along. The Holy Spirit, this is why we got to have this power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is the power in our pain. Some of us, we want to do great things, but man, we are hurting here today. You're hurting either from the choices that you made in your life or you're hurting from what people have done to you. And you go, man, I'd love to do great things, but I am just devastated right now. Jesus warns the disciples about this. This is why he's going, you need my Holy Spirit. You need this power. He said this in John 15, verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. He's letting the disciples know, hey, I know stuff's going to get hard in this life. This is why you need my power. He goes on to tell him this in John 15, verse 26. But he says, when the counselor comes, this Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, will testify about me, will tell us about Jesus, and you must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. He's going, let this power come in. I want you to go share this with the world, not just on a mission trip. I want you to have my power in your everyday life. And then he goes on to say this, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. 
How many times do we leave church going, boy, I hope I do better this week. Then you come back next weekend and go, I think I got worse. (laughs) Church isn't helping. I'm actually going backwards. No, we go backwards when you live by your power, not the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's not about you better go to church or you don't have the power of the Spirit. No, we go to church to gather, to serve one another, to worship, to learn, to allow God to speak into our life so we can be reminded, oh, the Spirit goes with me and he wants us to testify about him to this world. And then when we come back, we gather to go, man, what did God do this week? Let's celebrate his goodness. He goes on to say this, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. At that point, I'd go, Jesus, are you serious? And you see this happen later on in Acts chapter 7 and 8. That Saul, who becomes Paul, was literally killing Christians thinking he was serving God. Verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away, and unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Two things, what he's saying is this, that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. One, he wants to comfort us, and he wants to convict us. Today, for some of you, you just need the comfort of the Holy Spirit because nothing in this world is comforting you. You've tried everything. Relationships, alcohol, money, career. You're going, man, I'm trying to get comfort. I'm trying to get comfort, and nothing is comforting my heart. And Jesus says, no, this is why I'm giving you my Holy Spirit so that you can have a comfort and a power that this world can't offer you. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit comes to convict this world. And this is the difference between the Holy Spirit and Satan. The Holy Spirit wants to come and convict us. Satan wants to come and condemn us. You see the difference? The Spirit wants to convict you to go, no, that's not the way that I want for you to go. That's not what God has for you. I don't want you to go astray. I don't want you to go over there. That's why sometimes we feel guilty. But when we feel guilty, the Holy Spirit will always go, no, I want to lead you to another place. When we feel guilty with Satan, Satan goes, no, I want to condemn you. The Spirit wants to convict us to lead us back into the way of Jesus. Here's how we experience the Holy Spirit's power in our pain. we got to understand this. We want relief, but the Holy Spirit wants to redeem our pain. This is what we got to understand about the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes into our life. A lot of times we just want relief. God, make it go away. You ever realize the pain that you and I have experienced? Brian Combs, who's now our spiritual formation pastor, told me this, that he teaches this in our grief share, that when people go through loss, he goes, a lot of people want to come in and they say this, when am I going to get over this? He says, actually, you won't get over it, but it'll be the Holy Spirit who helps you get through it. Oftentimes, we just want relief, and what Jesus wants to do through the power of the Holy Spirit is he wants to redeem our pain. He wants to use one another. This is why our support groups are so important, our cancer support group, all this other stuff, because this is what we find out is this. You have, through your journey and through your pain, Jesus says, not only do I want to heal you and comfort you, I want to use you to help other people. A couple years ago, uh, before Marty Jackson came and is our women's minister now, I was the interim women's minister. 
And uh, I know, man, I know it kind of sounds funny there, but uh, one lady came into the church office and she was going through a rough moment and she came in. I didn't get to meet her. And she comes in and she goes, I need to talk to the women's minister. And our receptionist said, uh, well, her name is Nate Ross. And, uh, and this is what she told her. She goes, does he wear a bra? She's like, not that I'm aware of. And, uh, and she said, then I don't want to talk to him. And I get where she's coming from. You know what she's talking about? I want to talk to someone who's been through what I've been through. I want to talk to someone who is in what I'm in right now. I don't want to just talk to a pastor. Here's what we need to understand. You have gone through things in your life that Jesus says, I want to redeem and I want to use you to help other people. Matter of fact, even psychologists are realizing that the power through healing, not just Christian psychologists, this is just science. They're going, actually, what's helping people is that they connect their story to a larger story. And when they begin to contribute to a larger story, there begins to be this healing that takes place in their life. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You need to know the Holy Spirit wants to comfort you today. And there is nothing in this world that will comfort your heart and in your situation like the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of all comfort, and I love this, who comforts us in all our trouble. But we cannot miss these next two words. God comforts us in all our troubles. And then look at these two words. So that. He comforts us, but he comforts us for a bigger deal. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Do you know that the Holy Spirit wants to use you to comfort other people who are going through hard times? That's the pastor's job, not according to Scripture. According to Scripture, the Holy Spirit wants to work in and through your life to bring healing and hope to this world. If you have faith in me, you will do what I have been doing and you will do greater things than these. Do you know the greater things God wants to do in your life? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. He comforts and he convicts and he leads us through. Some of you are going, Nate, I'd love to contribute. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Good news, you ready? The Holy Spirit is the power for our path. I, I want to contribute. I don't know how. The Holy Spirit is the power for our path. It shows us where to go next. It tells us what to do. This is why Jesus tells them in John 16, verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. You can't even handle everything I want to give you right now, but I'm going to try. It's like me. I'm trying to do one sermon in 30 minutes about the whole Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, all right? But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will what? Guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Do you know that's what the Holy Spirit does when he's in our life? He's always pointing to Jesus. 
He's always going, this is what Jesus wants for you. This is the way that Jesus is calling you to. And he goes on to say this, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Did you realize in the book of Acts when the Spirit comes, it was so common for the early church not to know what to do next? Matter of fact, that's what we do as elders here and leadership in the church. We go, Jesus, what do you want to do next in your church? I mean, we have some ideas, but Jesus, what do you want to do in and through your church? Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 15, they came to a hard crossroads because a bunch of Jews were becoming Christians, except they wanted to bring their traditions, particularly circumcision, into the process of being a Christian. Imagine that being the invitation at the end of new member night. And if you want to be a member, we have our circumcision booth over here. For some reason, our membership has been plummeting lately. And it actually became a big issue. And the church leaders didn't know what to do because they're going, if we have people get circumcised, then that means what Christ did on the cross was not enough. See, that's part of our problem with our theologies. We think we have to do more than what Christ has done in order for God to love us. No, you need to fall more in love with what Christ has done for you on the cross. So everything you do comes out of that love from him. Acts 15, 28, they come to this conclusion. They go, you know what? No, nobody needs to be circumcised to be a Christian. They just need to place their faith in what Christ has done on the cross and that he rose again from the dead to conquer sin and death. And listen how they decide this. In Acts 15, 28, this is what they tell the people. They said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You know how you need to make decisions in your life? That verse right there. Hey, Holy Spirit, I'm thinking about moving here. Is that good, is that good with you? I mean, it's good, it's good for me, but is this, good for, is this good with you? Holy Spirit, should I marry them? Not do I want to marry them. Holy Spirit, is this what you want from me? See, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says he guides you into all truth. You don't need to have the answers. You just need to begin to say, Holy Spirit, guide me. And if we're going to allow him to lead us and guide us, here's what we've got to understand. We want success, but the Spirit wants us to surrender. I remember before I moved here, I remember I started growing frustrated in my ministry job. How can you grow frustrated doing God's work? You know how you can? That the Spirit is beginning to do something new. And what happened in my life was this. I remember literally sitting at Circle Center on the steps, downtown Indianapolis, talking to my parents, going, at the moment, I didn't know what I was saying, but I said, it just feels like the Holy Spirit is releasing me from this place. And I didn't know what that meant. It just like kind of came out of me. And what the Holy Spirit was trying to do in my life was this. He was saying, Nate, I want you to surrender what success looks like in your life. Because you know what success looked like in my life? If you work hard, everything works out. And if things weren't working out, what do you think I went back to doing? Working hard. Nate, you got to work harder you got to work harder because if you work harder, then it will work out. And if it's not working out, work harder. And the Spirit was going, Nate, I need you to surrender what success looks like in your life. 
I had a fire yesterday morning. It was a beautiful morning. It's cool. It's crisp. Had the kids out. We didn't even cook anything. We just built a fire, right? You know, it's like, that's what you do in fall around here. And I just sat there for a little bit, and I just thanked God for having a better plan of success for my life than what I could come up with. Because without him guiding me and releasing me from where I was, I went, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have an opportunity to live here. Wouldn't have an opportunity to be a pastor here. Wouldn't have the family that I have now. And I remember just kind of sitting there yesterday morning going, Holy Spirit, it's like you do know what you're doing. And he's like, you think? Because <laughs> all I'm telling you to do is what Jesus tells me to do. Turns out that's why well, you might want my power in your life. Because in that moment, I didn't have peace. I didn't have peace. I was doing whatever I could do, working harder, whatever I needed to do. I just wanted peace. So what we got to understand about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is the power to have peace. what the Spirit wants to bring into your life. Peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict. The peace of the Holy Spirit means peace in the midst of conflict in this world. Peace in the midst of your pain. Peace in the midst of job transition where you don't know what to do and you're trying to get direction. Peace of trying to seek out what God has for you. This is how Jesus ends this section of passage in John chapter 16. He summarizes it by saying this in verse 32. He says, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. He's telling the disciples, I know what's coming. You're telling me right now that you're going to stick with me, but when the cross goes up and I'm nailed to the cross, you're going to run for the hills because you're going to think you're next. And you're going to leave me all alone. Yet, I am not alone. For my Father is with me. How did Jesus have peace as he faced the cross? He had the Father with him. He had a power that is extended to you and I to continue to follow him in every step of the way. And I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Oftentimes we think if we're going to put our faith in Jesus, he's just going to ridicule us and he's going to be a taskmaster and he's going to drive us and you need to do better and that's not enough. That's why we need to listen to the word of God. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Jesus is trying to speak to you and I very clear right now. You're going to have trouble. This is not going to be easy. If you think becoming a Christian is going to take away all the pain of your life, you need to listen to Jesus and not your own thoughts right now. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I'm here to offer you a power that this world cannot give you and you cannot have. And if you and I are going to experience this peace and this power from Jesus, here's what we've got to understand. We want to achieve peace in this world. Jesus says, you need to receive my peace.
It's not about you and I going and trying to achieve peace. It is about Jesus saying, I am inviting you to the table. I want you to feast on the peace that I have for you. I want you to lean into this. When he says these words, take heart, what he's saying is this. He goes, will you receive it? Will you receive what I have for you? Right now, our volunteers are going to go back and get ready to serve communion to us. And we do this every week because what we say is this. We go, oh, yeah, God, peace isn't found anywhere else in this world. Matter of fact, this moment of communion is a time for you to maybe reflect and go, where was I looking for peace in this life other than Jesus? And Jesus, lead me back to your cross. Lead me back to what you've done. Lead me back to the table that you're inviting me to, that you're inviting me in to have the power and the peace that only you can give. And so here's the prayer I want you to pray. We're going to listen to a song and then we're going to take communion together. But right now and during communion and during this song, this is the prayer I want you to pray. It's simply this. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never talked to God before. Today you're going to talk to God. And your prayer is this. Come Holy Spirit into my pain. Come Holy Spirit into my confusion. I don't know how to go forward. I don't know what to do. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and be my peace. I'm looking everywhere. I'm trying everything and it's not working. Come and be my peace. Take heart. For I have overcome the world, Jesus says. That's the table we sit at. The one who isn't trying to overcome the world, who has overcome the world, and he invites you to sit with him. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for pursuing us when we haven't pursued you. Thank you for giving us truth when maybe we haven't listened, but you continue to give us your words and your hope and your peace. And Father, I just pray for everybody right now as your church. We are your church, Jesus. Would we invite you in? Would we be vulnerable with you and allow you to save us right now. Come, Holy Spirit.